Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Am I Missing, the podcast where I attempt to fill in the gaps of my knowledge through conversations with friends. I'm your host, Brett Walden, and today I am talking to Mike Carr about wrestling. If that sounds familiar, that's because it is. This is episode 26, and if you know your math like I do, that's halfway between 0 and 52, which means this is exactly six months since What Am I Missing started, and I thought it would be appropriate to bring back the very first guest, since so many of you have been asking for a follow-up conversation, and get a little more technical, a little more specific, and see what Mike thinks about wrestling this many months later. It's also a special episode because Mike has since left Orlando. He lives in Boston now, doing some things up there, and uh, I was lucky enough to catch him uh, mere days before he left. So you're going to hear a few references to Boston. I mention Boston uh, very knowingly, but almost secretly, as if somebody else were in the room and didn't know that he was already moving. But the, the cat's out of the bag now. He's gone. Everybody knows it. So that's why I talk about Boston so much, because Mike is now happily living up there. But like I said, we were lucky enough to get him in one final time before he left. And um, I thought it would be a very good way to sort of end the year. I'm going to take a break a bit. I think this will be the last episode for 2018. I wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been listening for the past six months. Um, Or if you just got onto the podcast, thank you so much for listening. Um, I will be back in 2019. I've got a whole bunch of people in mind, people who want to come on and talk about things. So I'm very excited for what the new year is going to bring. But with the holidays, with the plays, with everything that's going on, uh, the schedule's just, it's catching up to me and it's its hard to produce episodes. So uh, bear with me. Uh, please enjoy your holidays. And um, once again, thank you so much for being a listener of the show. And uh, I will see you in 2019. But enough preamble. Let's get ready to rumble with Mike Carr. Take it away, Anthony. Um, All right, well, uh, you ready to go? Let's do it. Cool, let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Very excited because for the first time ever, we've got a sequel happening here. We've got our first return guest. You remember him. You love him. He was in the very first episode. He was there talking about professional wrestling. And guess what? He's back again to talk about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Give it up for Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Out there listening in podcast land, listening to the one, the only, too hot to handle, too cold to hold, too sweet to be sour. Oh, yeah. Wow. (laughs) Not only did we get him once, but we got him back again. Back from the dead again. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. He had more to say. Dig it! It's Mike Carr, everybody. Hello. Give him a big round of applause. We'll wait. Sufficient amount of time. Thank you. Um, Mike, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Like I said, you're my first return guest. Wouldn't have it any other way. The studio has grown immensely. The studio's changed. Your knees are now a bit more comfortable. I feel I feel like I'm in first class on an airplane right yeah. now. Spread out, baby. Oh, I am. Make it your home. It's beautiful. Yeah, for the next hour or so, this yeah. is this is this is where you live. Oh, gorgeous. Um, yeah, a lot has changed. The um, the format has changed a little bit. Mm. The time spent has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. We were very concerned about time in the first episode. We were, and I felt like it limited you a bit on what you could talk about. I felt so. I felt the same. And so I thought, you know what? We've extended it out. Some shows are going an hour 30. One show went an hour 40 for some reason. Good gravy. Was that Adam Scharf that went an hour 40? No, or else? I think it was 
Joel's. Oh, okay. I think Django went a little long. That was a great episode. All the episodes have been great. Thank this you. This is a great show. Thank you. Yeah, when you when we first did it, we had no idea. Yeah. You were literally the first interview. We didn't know what was going on. No we idea. didn't know what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And you sort of set the template for what it has become. It's beautiful to look back and see what see the trail that we blazed, you mm. know. And we've, all the great the greats that have followed. We've grown so much in the last 3 months. Mm. Truly. Wow. Truly. Well, it's an honor to have you back. Um, you said that you have more to talk about with wrestling. I do. Actually, um, some people that listen to the show who are also wrestling fans were like, oh, you didn't talk about this and didn't talk about this. I'm like, no, I didn't. And uh, I was like, yeah, there's more There's more to more to be spoken about. Okay. So we're here today, and I'm going to – I narrowed it down to talking about the Attitude Era, which is – we alluded to in the past ep- previous episode. I remember. We didn't dive into it extremely. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Attitude Era and what was called the Monday Night Wars, which okay. is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's what this show's about. Yeah. and yeah. I'm All right. So set up the scene. Okay. What, so the Attitude Era is... The Attitude Era when is... When does that take place? It takes place... It, a lot of people will say it's 1998 through like 2001, 2002. Um, but it really started in 1996. You have to go back sure. to, to understand exactly what happened. So like okay. I said, I think in the previous episode... Their wrestling changed right around that time. The Attitude Era is kind of hailed as the time where wrestling became cool again. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, because in the 80s, it was really cool with Hulk Hogan and uh, Ric Flair in the South. And uh, Hulk Hogan was more of the, the national slash international wrestling name. Right. Uh, but then wrestling kind of cooled off in the 90s uh, because of the steroid trial that WWF went through. And then uh, Hulk Hogan leaving WWF and going to WCW, which was the other rival company. So that's who we're going to talk about, WCW and WWF. Okay. I'm going to refer to them as WWF because that's what they were at the time. Right. Uh, now they're WWE, thanks to a lawsuit from the World Wildlife Fund. Yeah, yeah. which they, is easy to confuse the two. Yeah, it's hilarious that they lost that website, that <laughs> that, that name. Yeah. But then they their slogan when they lost it was, WWE, get the F out, was their slogan. That's pretty good. Yeah, so they, they, rolled, they ran with it. They're pretty aggressive. Um, and for those of you who are maybe <laughs> stumbling upon this, and don't have any background for what we're about to talk about, I suggest you go back to episode uh, one and listen to everything that Mike had to say about then. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I believe all of that stuff you just referenced is in that conversation. I believe so, yes. Okay, so catch yourself up. All right. Get the F out. Get the F out. That's that's actually towards the end of the Attitude Era, so... We're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to 1996. Okay. Now, 1996, yeah. um, the WWF was losing to WCW in the ratings because uh, they ended up both going on the same time. WCW was a essentially a regional promotion in Atlanta. Uh, WWF did not buy them when they bought all the other uh, promotions like they did in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So this was a rival wrestling company. Were they unable to or they just kind of overlooked them? I think, I don't know for sure. Um, I think that maybe those were the ones that, like, I think the w- WCW was maybe with, along with the uh, NWA at one point, which was the National Wrestling Alliance, and mm-hmm. then they split off. But then uh, WCW was just surviving in the Atlanta market mainly. Right. Um, a new president came to that company named Eric Bischoff. He was, uh, he had tried out for the WWF to be an announcer. They didn't hire him. So he was a, he became a, an announcer for WCW and then worked his way up to becoming uh, the executive executive president or something for the company of WCW. Oh, man. Uh, and Ted Turner, who owned uh, TN, TNT, TBS, Turner Broadcast Network, uh, he was like, I want, uh, let's make wrestling a, a thing. Let's try to give it, let's try to give it a run for his money. Sure. The, the, the rivalry between Ted Turner and Vince McMahon is played up a lot. Um, it's not as big as people think it is, but it's fun to look into it in the Monday Night Wars because mm-hmm. Vince McMahon had this show that was on Monday nights. It was two hours, and it was kind of getting all these ratings. Not huge ratings, but there was a market there. So yeah. Eric Bischoff kind of said, we can make this into something. 
And Ted Turner said, okay, I got a lot of money, so here's some money. Let's have a Monday night show. Right. So now there starts to be the show called Monday Nitro going opposite Monday Night Raw. Oh, wow. Uh, and that's the show. And on the first episode of Monday Nitro, which I believe was, it might have been September 4th, 1996, or 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you remember that because? It's my birthday, yeah. and it's? My anniversary. I know. But, but yeah, I can see why you would remember that. Yeah. What a birthday gift for you. Exactly. And this was the first big, uh, they, they they call it a shot across the bow, uh, is, is what it's referred to as, because there was a wrestler named Lex Luger who was with Vince McMahon in the WWF. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, he was being touted to be like the next big... They were trying to make him the next Hulk Hogan, essentially. They needed a big, muscular guy. Uh, Vince got him for what was called the World uh, Bodybuilding Federation, which never got off the ground. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Vince tried to have a bodybuilding federation. Mm. But he, he had Lex Luger and had a verbal contract with him, not a written contract. Said, hey, you're going to stick with me, right? Sure, yeah. And his contract was up. So he got a call from WCW. They're like, we heard your contract's up. Do you want to come work for us? And he was like, uh, all right. Oh, and man. it was all like, and they've talked about it. Like, he's talked about it in interviews. Oh, excuse me. I'm drinking a lovely beer, and it just made me burp a little. <laughs> um, he he had to be, like, real stealth about it. And, like, because... Th- a, you didn't want anyone from WCW to find out because his appearance on the show wound up being a big surprise. Because mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was during the the main event. I think it was it was Ric Flair, maybe Flair versus Sting. I think was the main event of mm-hmm. of Nitro, or it may have been Flair. It wasn't Flair Hogan, but Hogan ended up getting involved because he's Hulk Hogan, so he gets involved in everything. Sure. But um, Ric Flair and Sting were. I think it was Ric Flair and Sting in the ring, and then all of a sudden Lex Luger walks into the arena. And I say arena, and it wasn't. It was actually filmed in the Mall of America. Oh, nice. The first episode was in the center of the Mall of America, and it was free for people to come and watch the show. It right. had a big crowd. Yeah. Um, so Lex Luger shows up, and he had not been working for WCW. He was working for WWF. So the announcers were like, "He doesn't. he's not supposed to be here. He doesn't work here, and we're playing into it. Yeah. And because something like that had never happened on that scale before, mm-hmm. they were able to kind of sell it like, a, "Oh, this is this isn't supposed to happen." Right, like it was like an improvised, like we're all dealing with this in the moment kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so so the fans that are watching are going, "Hey, wait a minute, he's that's Lex Luger. He's supposed to be on WWF. Why is he on WCW?" And it's weird. So that happened, and people are like, "Oh, that's that's not supposed to happen." So, and and Vince McMahon obviously was he was hurt by that because he had thought Lex was going to stay with him and he was trying to build his company. Sure. They didn't have like hardcore stars at that point, WWF. They had, they had Bret Hart, they had Shawn Michaels, they had Diesel and Razor Ramon who were all great wrestlers, but like not like a Hulk Hogan or a Ric Flair. They didn't have that, that spark plug. Right. Yet. So, um, as time goes on, WCW now has Lex Luger in their, in their roster. And then all of a sudden they add a guy named Scott Hall. Scott Hall was the aforementioned Razor Ramon. Mm-hmm. He was again a guy in WWF working really well. Uh, he'd been a wrestler for years, but he got a better deal in WCW. It was less days and more money, and it was guaranteed. Wow! Because wrestlers didn't work, and I don't I don't know if they do now. I'm not sure what their contract structure is, but back then, in the '90s, they didn't work on guaranteed contracts. It was literally like you work a certain amount of days, you get a percentage of the door, and that's it. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, there's wow. no, they have no wrestlers that union. Like casual. there's a lot of yeah, it's very casual because it's kind of based on the old. It's almost like old carny lifestyle is kind of how it was based. Right, and it never really updated until WCW was like, we're going to do guaranteed contracts. You know, so you're going <laughs> to right, yeah, you're going to sign this contract. You're going to get, you know, seven hundred thousand dollars for one hundred and fifty dates of work for the year or wow. whatever it was. And and W, you said you sort of mentioned, but WCW is is being backed by 
Turner, yeah, right? Ted that, Turner. That's how they're able to sort of like guarantee all of these things. Yeah, right now they, they they'll start to generate revenue, but they weren't generating revenue at first. Right. So Ted Turner kind of bankrolled it to get it started. Right, and that's how they're able to kind of poach some mm-hmm. of these bigger names. Yeah, because they were able to give them a guaranteed guaranteed contract and less days on the road. Just shady shit. Oh yeah, and and you know at the time wrestlers, especially WWF wrestlers, they're on the road. They do shows every week, you know. They're they're on the road over 300 days a year. They still right. are. It's a much different business now than it was then. But you know, back then you're on the road 300 plus days a year. If you got hurt, you know, in the ring doing a doing a, in a match, you wouldn't necessarily tell anybody unless it was severe, because you don't want to lose your pay because there was no guarantee. So right, like that's why a lot of wrestlers die young or end up crippled because they, in those old days, they wouldn't say like, oh, I got I got a concussion. You know, right. I got my bell rung pretty hard. But uh, if, I, if I'm out for two weeks, that's two weeks of pay that I won't have, that I can't feed my family. So yeah. so they'll just deal with it. Well, cause, and it sounds like, I mean, based on our previous conversation, too, I know that those circuits kind of existed all over the place. But mm-hmm. then once WWF kind of emerged and, and, and started televising and kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, they, they absorbed mm-hmm. all of the different, you know, things and sort of grew in that way. It sounds like they were kind of the only game in town and so it was like you either play for us yeah it was i mean in terms of like if you if you get hurt you know or i I mean it in the way that like they could structure it however they wanted because they were the like they were the biggest game the biggest game that it was just like we can we don't have to contract you out we can pay you know and if you get hurt and you're out you're out on your own it's just like you know and then here comes this upstart you know other place that's like no we'll take care of you similar but different um because wrestling had always been even in the smaller promotions had always been you you get a a cut of the door like it had Mm -hmm. never been guaranteed money so wcw changed it when they gave them guaranteed money okay but like if before that if you were a a wrestler and wwf didn't hire you you could still wrestle they were like indie promotions and small stuff but it was a lot less money you're playing in smaller smaller venues and you're not making you're not having a big impact. Whereas WWF, you're on TV right. nationally, and then they do touring. That's where they do they do a lot of their money on the tours because they'll go to small towns or right. the towns they won't do the TV in. They'll go to these other towns in the a local arena and they'll yeah. put on a show. I guess that's what I mean. Like the the pros of working for WWF are significantly higher. You get more exposure. You get you know you get higher paid. But the the flip side of that is that they're sort of holding on to that old model though of you know you're kind of out on your own if you if you're unable to do it for whatever Yeah, at reason. the time, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so Scott Hall, uh, who was with WWF, now showed up on WC- WCW TV, and it was a similar deal. Uh, there was a contact with Eric Bischoff, or I, it might have been, I don't remember who the wrestler was, but there's wrestlers, all the wrestlers have worked for each other, each company at some point in their career. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Hall had worked for WCW years before and made friends with guys there. Um, all the wrestlers know each other, even though they're on rival companies, they're all still, they're in the same fraternity. So sure. they, so they know each other. Um, so Scott Hall got word about, you know, he got offered this, this great deal and he was in a similar situation where his contract with WWF came up and was a verbal thing. Like, will you stick around? Yeah, sure. I'll stick around. <laughs> Um, but then the money came up and this more money, less dates. That's what that, those are the words he always says whenever he talks about it. So he goes over to WCW and he shows up on their, on their Monday night show, uh, like a week or so after he was in WWF. Oh man. And he walks through the crowd and you know, he's a stark, it's a stark difference to what they have going on on TV right now in WCW, their matches, WCW, when I say Southern wrestling, that's kind of how it was viewed. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, they would refer to it as wrestling. Like right. in a lot of ways, because it was, 
just the way that the, that the commentary was and the way that the matches were, it just kind of felt very like Southern is the, they call it Southern wrestling and they call um, WWF kind of Northeastern wrestling. Right. It's just the difference in, in uh, presentation. Okay. You know, I, I, beyond that, I really can't explain too much into it because I didn't watch a lot of old WCW, but right. When was, I hear Southern, I think more brawling. Yes. Um, for some reason, a, a folding chair always enters <laughs> my mind. It just seems like that's, you know, it's just a little more scrappy when I... Yeah, I, I think I, I don't know if that's correct. I but. think that's a good way to put it because, you know, WWF was very polished. The mm-hmm. product was extremely polished. And WCW's product up to this point was very scrappy. And right. look, didn't look as polished and professional. So it felt Southern and, you know, backwoods kind of energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Scott Hall walks in. He climbs in the ring, grabs a microphone and says, You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. And that was his promo. And it again, it got everybody talking. Like, why is he there? <laughs> and this is still not the Attitude Era. We're still leading up to it. Sure. Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Kevin Nash joins him in WCW. Kevin Nash was Diesel in WWF. Mm. Diesel was a wrestler who started out as the bodyguard of Shawn Michaels. Uh, big dude, like seven feet tall, three hundred pounds, wow. just a huge guy. And he was their champion in WWF for a while. And he, same deal. Scott Hall called him and said, "I, dude, you want to make some good money without working as many days?" Jeez. So he jumped ship. So now, and and nothing's going the other way yet. Like no one's leaving WCW to go to WWF. Right. Everyone wants to, but you know, because WWF is the the big show. But now WCW is gaining some traction. They got new management, Eric Bischoff, and these new things are happening. Yeah. So now Kevin Nash comes in, and he joins Scott Hall, and they become a tag team called the Outsiders mm. because they're still playing up the fact that they work for WWF, playing it up so much in the fact that they didn't call them their character names, but like Scott Hall. His character Razor Ramon in WWF had a had an accent, and, yeah. and he would talk like this, Chico, hey, like he would talk like that, and he was still doing that. So WWF sued WCW for char- for uh, character infringement. Infringement, wow. Yeah. And uh, the lawsuit, uh, I think they might have won actually. Oh really? Or they uh, they something happened. I think they might have settled or something, but. They were suing them because they're like, those are our intellectual properties. And they're like, well, no, these are people. And they're like, well, no, he's he's talking like Razor Ramon. We created Razor Ramon. Right. So this is Which all happening. Sense. Yeah. Um, so WWF at that point, as a, a way to get back at them, uh, created fake Razor Ramon and fake Diesel, but didn't call them that. Just called them Razor Ramon and Diesel in almost an effort to be like, it, it actually backfired horribly because they're like, oh, wrestlers are expendable. Anyone can be the character. And it's like, right. that's not the case. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So the guy they had playing Razor Ramon, I don't know his name, uh, but he was not. It was very obvious that it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, there's Razor Ramon. It's like, that's that's not him. Did they try? So they, they tried to play it like straight. It wasn't like a. They never made any. like they made, A mocking or a parody of it where it was just like, we're going to. No, they were, we're going like, to ruin this character's reputation. Then, kinda, if you're going to do this, they, they they didn't, or did they inadvertently do that? They inadvertently they didn't they inadvertently ruined the reputation of the character, but it actually heightened the guy who used to play him. Right. Uh, they didn't like come out and go, oh, they, look at him, he looks different. You know, he's. They, they were just like, there's Razor Ramon, and you're right. like, that's not Razor Ramon. They didn't try to do some soap opera story where he got into an accident, got in an accident, yeah. and had to get reconfigured. No. And or they something. did the same thing with Diesel too. They had fake Diesel. But they like made them just lesser characters. They didn't let them talk, or they they, actually, they did let Razor Ramon talk, and he did a decent version of the character. But you're like, that's just not him. That's not him. So the character doesn't have the same strength, and it, it's clear that WWF is is struggling because yeah. those guys embodied those characters. It's like it's like in Aladdin two, mm-hmm. when the genie's voice changed. Yep, it's just not Robin. It's Williams. just not the same yeah, thing. Yeah, you it's, can keep insisting that it's the genie, but it's not. That's exactly what it was like. It sounds like Homer Simpson. Yeah. 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 And, and 
you know, so they had these guys in these roles and they just weren't working out. So, so WWF at that point too, uh, just not putting on the best product, you know, like the, I mean, it was 95, 90, that was 96. I mean, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were there and they were doing great work, but like their undercard was very weak. They still had the very silly characters. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the dumpster, Duke, the dumpster Jose, who was the garbage man. Uh, the guy who played the demented dentist, Kane, uh, who's actually went on to be Kane, who is now a mayor. Um, he won his, he won his mayoral race in Knox County, Tennessee. Oh wow! Yes, congratulations, congratulations yeah, Kane. Glenn Jacobs, way to go! Um, <laughs> you did it. Yeah, um, he was fake Diesel because he'd been working for the company. So, um, meanwhile in WCW, they're building up this angle that they're being invaded by these WWF guys, and that they're going to have a mysterious third member who's going to show up. And the third member is where I think the Attitude Era really started. Even though it wasn't in WWF, it was in WCW, and the third member was Hulk Hogan. Oh. Who was WCW? He was in WCW, but he's known as a WWF guy, right? And he was known as the the good guy for all time, like American hero Hulk Hogan. Sure. So they they were teasing that this third man is going to show up at the their Bash at the Beach pay per view in '96. Like, oh, he's going to show up, and he's going to, you know, he's going to round out our group. And speculation was that it was going to be Sting, who was a WCW guy, mm-hmm. and that was kind of one of the plans they wanted to go with, but Sting didn't work out. I guess he didn't want to do it or something. He didn't want to become a villain at that point. Right. Another rumor was that it was going to be Bret Hart coming over from WWF to be the third guy. It was never going to be Bret Hart. He was never in the running for it. But they wanted it to be someone that would be a big shock. So they wound up going with Hogan. Even though even though Sting... I guess I'm, I'm a little confused. Even though Sting and Hulk Hogan were already part of WCW? Yeah. How would have that have been a reveal then? Because um, they would have because turned heel? They would have turned heel. They would have turned heel and joined these two guys who were coming in to destroy WCW. Their whole mission, I'm sorry to mention that, their whole mission was we're going to come in and we're going to ruin your company. Okay, so they had come in kind of as bad guys. Yeah, they came in as villains, but the audience was liking them because they're they're like, these are the guys from WWF. I like them. They're fun. Right. They're doing something different. Right. So yeah, their whole angle was, we're coming in to mess with your company. Right. They were alluding to the fact that they still worked for WWF. Got Without it. saying it. So it's almost as if like the the rumors of Sting or Hulk Hogan were almost as if like they were moles within the company. Yeah. And who that's... were like taking it in from the inside long before you were even aware of it. Exactly. As a viewer. Yeah. So Got Sting it. would have been, I think, it wouldn't have been as big if it had been Sting. It would have been cool because Sting had been a WCW guy his whole career yeah. up to that point, and then have him join the, the WWF guys would have been great. But Hulk Hogan was a great choice because then Hulk Hogan became a villain, and he really laid into it. Mm-hmm. And that's when he grew. <laughs> he had his stubble that was painted black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I remember that. But that was the birth of the NWO, the New World Order. So that changed wrestling because now WCW had this cool renegade group that was in their own that was in their show, but not a part of their company. Like that was the storyline, right? And the fans were were really into it because it was just something very different. So WCW starts beating WWF in the ratings because they have Hulk Hogan and the NWO um, running running rampant. And then they start adding members. They added um, Eric Bischoff, who was an announcer at the time, was also the president of the company, but he was also an on on air announcer. Mm-hmm. He wound up joining the NWO as a member. So now the president of the company is a part of the evil group that's trying to take over it. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then, like, tons of other guys are joining, and now it's becoming this big group, and they're trying to stop it. Like, the other WCW wrestlers are banding together, be like, we can't let this take over. Right. So this whole storyline's going on, and WWF doesn't really have an answer for it. Sure. Like, they're sitting over there with, with nothing. Um, well, it sounds like they got knocked back on their heels a bit. Like, they were just, it's just like, it almost sounds like it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And what's the lesson there? Hire everybody. 
<laughs> because if you had just let Bischoff do what he wanted to do originally and mm-hmm. work for WWF, none of this would have happened. No, no. It's almost a big middle finger to them just being like, you know, all right, you don't want me? Exactly. I'm going to go I'm going to go poach all the best people out of your company yeah. and I'm going to I'm going to take over the ratings. Yep. Um so now WCW starting to win and and uh WWF fires back again in a very childish not good way. Mm-hmm. They create a little skit that they start doing on their show. Uh well, actually they did this before the NWO started, but like they continued it. It was like a a skit where they had billionaire Ted was a character they created yeah. on TV and then they had uh the huckster and the nacho man because Randy Savage was over in WCW as well, mm-hmm. and they had two very old men playing them, and they would be like, just making fun of the characters. Right. So they were trying to be like, oh, they're all old and outdated, but look at how young and cool we are. And everyone's like, ah, oh, these aren't, they're funny, but like they're, it's, 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 it's desperate. Yeah. It's just desperate. And, and, yeah, especially when, I mean, especially when you're making fun of, Essentially, your own. Yeah, you're making fun of the characters you created. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's kind of cutting up your nose to spite your face. You're yeah. just like, guys, that, that's still yours. You exactly. Know? So, so all that's going on. Meanwhile, in WWF, there's a character starting to percolate with the fans, and that's uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. He in 1996, he was the ringmaster, and it just wasn't working. Uh, he was managed by the Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and he, he didn't talk a lot and. His character just wasn't working, so they took him off TV for a little while, and they were going to bring him back, but he needed to be rethemed because the ringmaster wasn't working. Sure. So uh, the story goes that Vince McMahon and, and WWF Creative sent him a bunch of character names, like a lit, like a sheet of a sheet of a sheet of paper with names on it. Yeah. And they're looking through it, and one of them was like Ice Dagger, and uh, <laughs> I think Baron Von Fries or something, like something like just they wanted him, they wanted to like go with some kind of like evil, cold vi- vision. Right. And it was his wife at the time, who had just brought him a cup of tea and said, drink that now or it's going to be stone cold. Mm. And she said that to him and he goes, what'd you say? And he's like, your tea is going to be stone cold. And that's when he was like, that's my name. Stone Cold Steve Austin. So that's when he came up with, that's when that's fascinating. That's how the name was born. I would have said, what did you say? Because nobody talks like that. No. Ever. Stone cold is not a phrase that any human being. I don't think so either. (laughs) And his his British wife said it. You know, it's going to be stone cold. Yeah. What was that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I've never met a person that said that word, said said those words in that that order, unless they're referring to him. Exactly. Well, but whatever it was, it worked. It did. And then that, that launched his character and then his character became, uh, started to gain steam with the fans. He was a villain. And then when Bret Hart came back from a hiatus after he dropped the title to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, he wanted to start a program with, with, with Stone Cold. He really liked him. He loved the character. And Bret Hart being the ultimate hero and Stone Cold being the ultimate villain, mm-hmm. they were great to work together. And I think we talked about the double switch that happened. Yes. Yeah. So that's all leading up to Stone Cold getting more and more popular. So that's where the, the fans are starting to, to really simmer behind this guy. And Vince McMahon's recognizing the fans changing. He's recognizing that over at WCW, the NWO is you know being the bad guys and people are loving it. So he realizes, well, if... The fans love this guy. We have to make him. A, we have to make him the hero. Right. So that's when they switched Bret Hart and Sean and Stone Cold in the middle of a match to go from heel and babyface switch. Yeah, which was incredible. It was just so cool to watch it happen. And then, but they didn't want Stone Cold to come out and start being like a babyface. He because if he did, it would have completely killed the energy. Like he can't come out now and be like, "I love you guys." All right, <laughs> right, right, right. He still has to be a guy who breaks rules and doesn't care. Otherwise, the whole thing doesn't work. And so he starts ramping that up. Yeah. And Bret Hart goes the other way. Bret Hart becomes a major heel and starts uh, 
like dropping hints on TV that Vince McMahon is actually the owner of the company because no one had ever known that. Oh yeah, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, it's like he they had a hockey fight at one point where like Brett pulled his shirt over and started punching him. Uh, he's swearing at him. He's screaming, "This is bullshit!" Like in the ring and on a microphone, and people yeah. are like, "Oh, that's." And, and again, it's blurring the lines. Why is, why is that significant that people don't know about Vince McMahon at that point? It, I think, well, A, no one ever knew he was the owner. They thought he was just an announcer. Mm-hmm. So to have a character yelling at an announcer is very strange. But then as, it, as, as he's doing it, and he's, the fans are, it, it just creates intrigue. The fans don't understand why. But was it just, I mean, I, I mean in terms of like not, people not knowing. Oh, okay. That, was that. Was that just a matter of circumstance? Like it just never came up in conversation? From or? what I from what I've heard on other podcasts and what I've read, Vince didn't want people to know that he was the owner. Oh, okay. Like on TV, he just wanted to be the announcer, and behind the scenes, he would be the owner, pulling the strings and the creative force. Right. But he didn't want that to be part of his character. He just was like, "I'm going to be the announcer because I love doing that." But I'm right. also the owner. It was just something he never thought. I mean, people knew he was the owner in the business world. Sure. But on TV, as a wrestling fan, you didn't know that that was the guy that owned the company. He was just a guy who was yeah. sitting ringside, just talking about. Yeah, it. and he wasn't someone who was like, "We got to put me out there as the owner and put me in center scene." He's like, "I'm, I'm a." He was a good announcer, so he would be the announcer, but he was also the owner. Right. He didn't want to, from what I read, he he wasn't the one who was pushing to reveal. He just wasn't interested in it. No, but then when all the stuff was going on with WCW and Eric Bischoff as the president is starting to bleed into the storylines, he saw opportunity there. Yeah. So he started to play with it. Um, and then as that was going on, then the Montreal screw job happens. So Which is what? Oh, okay. That's <laughs> all right. So going back just a little bit. We'll get back to WCW in a minute. Okay. Uh, so Bret Hart is now a villain. He is he is a villain every in America. But he is a hero everywhere else in the world. That's how his character wound up becoming. Because, you know, he's a Canadian. He's, he's from Canada. Mm. So he would come out and say, American wrestling fans are the worst. Like, he gives this huge promo, and it was a great promo where he's like, in Canada, I'm treated with respect. I'm treated with respect everywhere in the world except here. American wrestling fans suck. I hate you guys. And they boo him out of the building. But everyone else in the world, WWF fans, were still fans of him. Right. Uh, so it was very strange, and it was something that had never happened before, mm-hmm. where a wrestler is a villain in America, but a but a, a hero everywhere else. Yeah. So they did. They leaned into that, and he created his own the Hart Foundation, which was his tag team uh, with G- the late Jim the Anvil Neidhart, who just passed away recently, mm. and a few other guys. His brother Owen Hart, his brother in law Brett, uh, his brother in law British Bulldog, and this guy Brian Pillman. They formed a co- a group called the. The Hart Foundation, which was an anti-American Canadian faction. Oh my god! And they they started. They won a bunch of the titles. They were they were the top yeah. villains. And in did Can- that predate or postdate the NWO? That was po- was after it. Okay, after the NWO. So in the ways, it was kind of like a response to it. I was going to say, kind of. Yeah. Does it mirror the NWO in a way? Not really, because their goal wasn't to destroy WWF. They right. were just a group of guys that that came together. Right. Um. Now, the next group that I'm going to talk about kind of does mirror the NWO in certain ways. Um, Shawn Michaels comes back. He has been in and out. He's had a lot of drug problems and injury problems, so he's in and out. But he comes back. He's palling around with a guy named Triple H, who mm-hmm. is the current uh, COO of WWF, WWE. Um, but he was just a wrestler at that point. They start to become a group. He's, like, actually? Yeah, he's the COO of the company now. Wow. Yeah, he's he's the responsible for NXT. Which is the 
thing here in Orlando. Uh-huh. Uh, he's responsible for a lot of the direction of creative. You know, he's he's the heir apparent to Vince McMahon when Vince McMahon steps down. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Good he, for he's, him. He's great for the business because he recognizes like outside talent and yeah. how to build up young wrestlers. Like he's he's awesome. That's awesome. I'm he's big, no mayor, but I mean, he's no mayor of Knox County. <laughs> but hey, you got to start somewhere. Exactly. Um, so so they come back and with Triple H, who's now got a bodyguard named China, who mm-hmm. is a very buff woman. Um, they start to form a group to kind of poke at Bret Hart's group, and they're called Degeneration X or DX. Mm-hmm. So they, it's a three, it's a trio who causes havoc, pay, doesn't pay attention to the rules, and they wear matching shirts. In WCW, there's a trio who causes havoc, doesn't pay attention to the rules, and wears matching shirts. Sure. So it's like, okay, DX is sort of a response to that. Without the desire of we're going to take over the company, they're just like, we're going to do whatever we want. So they become sort of this renegade group. Right. Who are also heels in response to Bret Hart's heel. But the fans <laughs> yeah. are, again, it's like the fans are getting behind DX. They're thinking it's funny. And it's, yeah. This is where they start doing like really kind of inappropriate stuff. Like Shawn Michaels comes to the ring and drops his pants and he's got a, like a banana stuff down his underwear and he's gyrating. And people, like, it's like, that's really not okay. Right. And that actually started the real life problems between Brett and Sean because Brett found it very inappropriate. Yeah. All this stuff and would be like, you shouldn't be doing that stuff and you shouldn't be saying stuff about my father. And like they, they, their character's animosity was bleeding over into real life or the other way around. Their real life animosity was bleeding into TV. Right. And their TV animosity was bleeding into their real life. Wow. So also it's funny that you say Brett and Sean because that's, that's my brother's name. Oh, is it really? And so it's very strange to hear oh. <laughs> the problems between Brett and Sean because, oh. yeah, okay. that's my brother's name. All right. So when you say Brett and Sean, I'm going to have to... You have, have to, to, you have to do some... I'm going to have to think twice. Absolutely. I'm like, he's not talking about me. He's no. talking about two professional wrestlers. Yes, I'm talking about two professional wrestlers, <laughs> Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Got it. Got yes. it. Not Brett and Sean. Who Walden. were like brothers at one point. Oh. Oh, they were very close. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. So uh, that's all going on. And, you know, in real life, Brett gets an offer from WCW to go back, and it's for a lot more money than he's making because mm. there's a whole bunch of contract stuff that happened with him. So he agrees to take it. So now he's going to leave the company, but he's the champ. Um, now, typically, the champion is supposed to drop the title before they leave. That's mm-hmm. just a respectful thing to do. But they wanted Brett to drop it to Sean, and he was like, no, I'm not going to do it to him. I'm not going to give it to him. He's, he's being disrespectful. He's not the right guy for the company. I'm not going to do it. Wow. And in some ways, he was right. In some ways, he was wrong. And I'm a huge Bret Hart fan, so I'm like, I get why he, was willing, why he didn't want to do it. Because yeah. Shawn Michaels I supposedly was supposed to drop the title back to him after WrestleMania, and then he quit. You, there's a lot. The, the Brett and Sean stuff as you know, in your own personal life. Yeah. The Brett and John stuff on this, on the wrestling world. We don't want to go into that. It's a bad combination. No, let's not do it. Uh, but the Brett and John stuff in wrestling, it, it's insane. Like their real life story, it, it's sad because they were good friends. Then they just, it was, they came up at the same time. So they had a lot of professional animosity and trying to one up each other. Yeah. And it just bled over into these, these horrible fights and they wound up not really caring for each other, not trusting each other. They still worked together, but behind the scenes, they were a mess. Right. So anyway, Brett's getting ready to leave. He doesn't want to drop the title to Sean. Vince McMahon comes up with a plan that says, okay, if he's not willing to give up the title, we're going to take it from him by force. Mm-hmm. So Vince at this point is aware that Brett's, he's out. Yeah, Vince has been involved in that all, all along because he's the owner. So he's been involved in the conversations. Right. Um, so, so now Brett is um, leaving in mm-hmm. Survivor Series 97. So Survivor Series 97 rolls around. Brett and Sean are fighting for the title in Canada where Brett's a huge hero. And he doesn't want to drop the title in Canada. He's He just doesn't want to do it. So they're in the middle of their match. It's supposed to end in a double DQ. And this is 
this is all real. This is really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the towards the end of the match, they had a spot that they planned where uh, Bret Hart had Shawn Michaels in his finisher, which is the sharpshooter. Uh, oh, Shawn Michaels had Bret Hart in it. Okay. And the spot was, I'll reverse it, so I'll put you in the sharpshooter. Then our groups will come down. They'll fight, and we'll give a double disqualification. Vince had the referee call for the bell, saying that Brett submitted, gave the title to Sean, and told Sean to get out of the ring. So in the this is the main event of the pay per view, right? So Bret Hart is unbeknownst to Bret Hart, unbeknownst to Bret Hart. Ooh, yeah. And all of this has been documented because Bret Hart actually had a documentary crew following him that year mm-hmm. um, about his family and his history in wrestling. So you know, as this is happening, there's a documentary crew following him around, and he's just like, I think. I don't know what's going on. He's like, this is weird. Like, things are weird right now. Yeah. And the documentary crew's just picking all this up. And they had access to backstage. So they have they have audio of, like, Brett and Sean talking and Vince and Brett talking and Vince Brett being like, look, you know, I don't want to drop the title to Sean here. And Vince saying, yep, that's okay. Yeah, no problem. We won't wow. do it. So it's very, like, it, the way it all came together. If it was this, If it was fake, it would be an amazing story. But that everyone involved is like, no, it was real. Right. Like they've all been like, no, it wasn't a story. Right. So, you know, Brett goes backstage. He's pissed. Shawn Michaels literally says to him, I didn't do it. I would never have, I didn't know about it, but he did know about it. Mm. Um, (laughs) Brett (laughs) knocks Vince out. Vince comes into his dressing room. He says, I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to come back out. I'm going to knock you out. And Vince apparently was like, that's fine. He can have a punch. Wow. Because he knew what he did. Sure. And they were very close at one point, you know, like, Sean, Brett has said that he thought of Vince as a father at times. So Vince, Brett comes out of the shower, knocks Vince out, and then he goes to WCW. Meanwhile, WCW is in the. Was mid- that caught on camera? No, that part was not caught on camera. No, that's just the story. Yeah, it's easy to forget sometimes when you know, especially now that you know, obviously all the revelations have been made, and we all know that it's you know it's it's planned ahead of time, and you know, but it's easy to forget with that that these are still like athletes at the top yeah. of their game who are very strong you know and have the ability to you know towards that that sort of violence i'm sure mm-hmm. you know and, and and especially when that adrenaline's running like oh yeah it's insane and and to think you know there are guys in the business like they work together every night doing these moves that are look like they're designed to hurt but they don't right you know and to know that like that's a level of finesse that's not easy to achieve yeah like to be able to punch someone and make it look like you really punched him, but you didn't. I mean, right. some guys are good at it. Some guys are not. <laughs> yeah. But there's like, like Bret Hart, his punches and his kicks look real, right. but he's not hitting you. Right. You know, but he also has the ability to make them when real. he needs to make it real. He yeah. can do that. Yeah. Cause again, yeah, he's an athlete. Yeah. He, all of these guys are athletes and he's, you know, these athletes and men and women are all athletes. Wow. Um, so WCW, while all that's going on in WWF, DX is coming up and they're starting to do all this inappropriate stuff. And Vince is letting them because the fans are liking it. And Sean and Hunter are like, this is good. Like, this is where we want to go. Yeah. Like, this is the direction things need to go. So then um, in WCW, you have uh, the NWO picking up steam. And Sting, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. he his character used to be blonde, flat top, face paint and just like a real like yeah american <laughs> hero guy like everyone loved him yeah he was gone for like four months when nwo came on and then he just started appearing in the rafters with black hair and he painted his face like the crow oh i yeah i remember yeah. that and he would never he didn't for a year he didn't say anything he didn't wrestle he just walked in the rafters and looked and people were enamored with it because it was wow. like what the hell is he doing What's the story? Yeah. And the story was he he felt like the, he lost his company and he lost his place and he didn't know where to go. So he was an outsider. And then 
there was a fake sting at one point where that he had joined them, but he never really did. So now this story is coming to a head a month after Bret Hart leaves WWF. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan and Sting are going to fight for the championship. And it's going to be Sting's first match in a year. And the story is supposed to end with uh, what was supposed to happen was there was a referee who was in the NWO's pocket who was going to do a fast count on Sting to like one, two, three. And then Bret Hart was going to show up and be like, you're not going to screw him the way I got screwed. So WCW is going to use his screw line story. Right. So he comes down and the referee, though, didn't do a fast count. The referee screwed up. Some people theorize that Hulk Hogan paid him to not do a fast count because oh, Hulk really? Hogan doesn't like losing. Right. Yeah. So like the referee's count is very much like one, two, three. And it's like, oh, he won. And then Bret Hart comes down and is like, you're not going to screw him. And everyone's like, he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But they still did the ending and it just looked bad. Sure. And it kind of killed this year-long story they were building. Yeah. But they brought Bret Hart in to WCW with all this momentum because he had just gotten screwed. All the fans had seen it. And they did nothing with him. Like, he wound up not even really being a factor in WCW. Right. And he ended up getting a concussion three years later and has never wrestled again because of it. So that, that was kind of the end of his story. Yeah, his, his oh. WCW story sucks. Like, it's not good. He just went out with a whimper. Pretty much. Oh. So now, in WCW, they've got the NWO. Uh, they're picking up steam. They've also done this thing in WCW where they start revealing uh, the results of WWF shows. Because WWF for a while was one week live, one week taped. Mm-hmm. So they would tape their show on like a Tuesday, air it the next Monday. Then they would f- be live on a Monday, tape on a Tuesday. So they were, they were just in an effort to save money. Right. So WCW was live every week. So what they would do is they knew the results. Like, <laughs> so they would be in the middle of their, like their company, like, stay, stay tuned, folks. Oh, and don't switch over the channel because you're just going to see this and this and this and this. And they would just tell the results of the show. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So that was pissing everybody off. Of course. So, so <laughs> WWF's like, well, how are we going to respond to this? Well, we just have to be better than them. So Vince McMahon ends up becoming the evil Mr. McMahon character. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of, he goes on, he does an interview right after he screwed Bret Hart that he thought was going to make him the hero, but it made the fans hate him even more because mm-hmm. he comes out and he's finally revealed as the owner. And he's like, you know, Bret screwed Bret. That was his whole thing. He's like, he did this. I didn't do this. I have no sympathy for him. It's his fault. And the fans were turned on him. Sure. And so now, you know, Vince was upset about it. Like, there's a guy named Bruce Pritchard who worked for... Oh, I just hit the microphone with my hand. Oof. Oh, He's excited, you guys. I am. So <laughs> so there's a guy, Bruce Pritchard, who does a podcast where he talks about all this stuff and how Vince did this interview and didn't understand why the fans didn't support him. Mm-hmm. Like, genuinely was like, why aren't they on my side? Like, I'm I'm not wrong. And, and Bruce Pritchard said to him, you got to lean into this. Like, yeah. you're a villain now. You're You're the villain. Like, that's where we have to go. So they have this villain. They have him now as the villain, and they're coming into their WrestleMania season in 1998, and they need the the guy who is going to become the next champion from Shawn Michaels is Stone Cold Steve Austin because he's been building up so much steam. Mm-hmm. Well, he is this you know he drink he comes to the ring he drinks beer he fights whoever he wants to fight he doesn't care about rules. Who does that person go up best against? An authority figure. Right. Who do you have now out of this Bret Hart thing? You have Vince McMahon. So Vince McMahon keeps trying to tame Stone Cold Steve Austin and it doesn't work till eventually one day in Madison Square Garden, he he gets Stone Cold stunnered, which is Stone Cold's move. But that like the the boss had never been hit before. 
Right. And like people really resonated with it. Oh, I'm sure. So all of a sudden, Stone Cold starts shooting through the roof of popularity, and people are starting to watch what he's going to do on Raw because he'll just come down and fight people. Yeah. Uh, DX is, is is there, and they're still doing their crazy antics. And they're starting to introduce more characters that are a little more edgy as opposed to the cartoonish characters they had. Yeah. They have a um, a group called the Nation of Domination, which is a an African American group that is kind of a, a Black Power movement group that's mm-hmm. in the, in in their group that's starting to pick up steam. They have a group that's a bunch of bikers, you know, who are, so they start having factions that are that are wrestling against each other. Right. And it's starting to kind of be like, okay, it's a, it looks a little more real. It doesn't look as cartoonish. I mean, they're still cartoonish wrestlers, but sure. They and they start they start kind of pushing that pushing that envelope a little bit more with the characters they introduce and start going that little extra step farther. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when they start to pull ahead of w, w, WCW. Um, I believe it was, there was a character, uh, Mankind uh, was a character at this time. Yeah. He, he kind of came in, and because of the performer Mick Foley, the character became beloved. He was a weird, like, boiler room-dwelling monster for the beginning of his career. I remember he would wear, like, a mask or yeah, something. Yeah, he wore a mask. Yeah. And, um, but then he did like a three-part interview with Jim Ross where like he revealed a lot of true stuff about himself. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of the Attitude Era that kicked it off was the, the guys were being less characters and more themselves. So Mick Foley does an interview where he revealed true stories about himself as a kid wanting to be a wrestler. Right. And like one of them was that he created an alter ego called Dude Love. And he <laughs> filmed videos of himself, he and his friends, doing like backyard wrestling stuff of like jumping off his house through tables that he really did, and they filmed it, and they used this in this interview. Yeah. And it created all this sympathy for him from the fans. Sure. So he becomes this other character that starts to really charge through the charge through the uh, the roof in a lot of ways. Right. Becomes so popular. Uh, and one of his foils was The Undertaker, mm-hmm. who has that character has shifted throughout all time. Like The Undertaker, it's a goofy gimmick, but like in this period of time, he was very dark and just very it wasn't realistic but he was real the way he played his character right as someone from the outside who who occasionally had glimpses in like i uh, mentioned in the previous episode my brother used to watch it this yeah. time and so a lot of these names um are familiar to me and visually you know i i remember mankind i remember like triple h i yeah. remember um what was the other one was there a big the, the big, undertaker big big, sh- big show big coming show up. i remember big yeah. show um but but the undertaker and sting in my mind always are the same person and i think it's just because they had that same dark they did persona at that at that time yeah they both had a similar look and a similar energy yeah yeah absolutely yeah um but yeah so 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 mankind ends up fighting undertaker at a match called hell in the cell i'm jumping around on the timeline a little bit but mm. but um in their match, it's called a Hell in a Cell match, and the hell and the cell is just a giant cage, twenty feet tall, around the ring, and guys usually fight inside of it. Well, Mankind was fighting Undertaker and had the idea, "What if we fight on top of it?" No. And it was like, "Okay." And then Mankind also had the idea, "What if you throw me off of it?" Oh, so he, <laughs> yeah, he was thrown off the top of the cage in the middle of his match. Yeah, and he went. It was at the King of the Ring 98, I think, was when that happened. So he was on top of the cage, and Undertaker threw him off, and he went through a table. So he threw him off a 20-foot cage. Yikes. And the fall, like, he goes off, and you can't see it at home, but he, he like his body rotates, and he's trying to rotate himself so that he'll land with his back on the table. Mm-hmm. He barely makes it. it. It's grisly. Yeah. And you think, that like, okay, that's it. He's done. He's dead. 
Yeah, that, that's what the, the announcer was like, oh my God, he's dead. Like, they said that. Wow. Because they thought he was dead. <laughs> they, they, he gets up. They start to bring him to the back on a stroller. He comes back into the ring and climbs back up. You find out later that he was severely concussed and didn't know what he was doing. Oh, right. really? Yeah, in real life? Oh, in real life, he had no idea. He got back there and he's like, oh, I'm good. I'm going to go back out. And they're like, no. And you he's cannot. Like, he's like, oh, I'm fine. And he goes back out. He climbs up and starts fighting The Undertaker again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a gimmick spot in the match that they were supposed to do later on where he was going to take a choke slam on top of the cage and the cage was supposed to bow down, like bow down and mm-hmm. then break. But it was supposed to bow down like 10, 11 feet and then break. Right. It didn't. It broke from up there. Oh, man. So now he falls straight down, hits the mat with a thud, and his he knocks his tooth through his nose. Like he looked awful. In the same in that same in that same match evening or the yeah, same this match. This was all the same match. So he got thrown off the cage. Yep. Climbed up it. Mm-hmm. The roof collapsed earlier than it should have, and he made the same fall again. This time he fell into the ring. So it was only maybe like. 17 feet 18 feet <laughs> oh, well then what are we even talking yeah, about exactly this he's fine <laughs> yeah um but that was like the kind of stuff that they were starting to do they were starting to do a lot more uh physical work right like dangerous stuff in the ring yeah and mick foley was he was one of the ones that would drive that and you know he would do that and that would turn the fans on to watch what's he gonna do next right um wcw wasn't doing that kind of stuff the nwo ended up becoming this very bloated bloated gimmick they put everybody in it, like everybody would join it, and then everybody would quit it. Right, and then they had two different NWOs. It was a, it became a mess, and it became very confusing. Mm-hmm. So the fans, there was a character Goldberg in WCW, who became the champion. He fought Hogan, and that was like kind of WCW's. That's where they peaked, because Goldberg was like almost an answer to Stone Cold in a lot of ways. He didn't mouth off because he really couldn't talk very well he was just a former wrestler he was a former football player yeah that started to try wrestling and wcw was like he's good enough put him in the ring but he wasn't a good wrestler he was good at doing his three moves he could hit a spear he could hit a jackhammer and then he would pin you and that was it right but he started doing that and the fans just responded to him because he was very charismatic mm. so he worked his way up to being champion yeah and it was and then he ended up losing and but that they again WCW had these great starts but not good finishes. Yeah. Whereas WWF had a much more creative staff that was telling good stories, giving them solid ends or good continuations. Um, Triple H wound up uh, after Shawn Michaels lost to Stone Cold, he left. So Triple H became the leader of DX and brought new guys into it and created a new group that was still the still DX, but now it was his version of it. Mm-hmm. So and in the Attitude Era, they would do. They did blackface in the ring. Oh, yeah. What? They did blackface. What do you mean? They impersonated uh, the Nation of Domination because uh, the Nation were heels and the DX were baby faces and they did blackface. It's mind blowing to think that they did it. And at the time, I didn't think I didn't know. I didn't know. I was like, that doesn't. It's weird. Like they they didn't do like the regular traditional right. what we think of as blackface, but like they were playing the the Nation wrestlers and they had their. They were painted. Holy crap. Yeah. You can find it on YouTube. I was going to say, there's video of oh, this? Oh, there's video of this. Because uh, The Rock was the head of the nation at that point. Yeah. And Triple H dressed up as him. Uh, one guy dressed up as Mark Henry. Like, And they're like, oh, this feels really... It was... Very, they, I think nowadays they're like, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Like they realize how bad it was. Sure. And um, <laughs> Well, do you remember... I mean, at the time, was there any sort of backlash or was there any sort of like response that you can like you know at that point remember i know at that point wrestling wasn't really meant for kids anymore um because uh 
going back a little sooner, when when Vince McMahon became the villain, mm-hmm. he went on and started to let things happen on the show that were just very adult. Um, right. And at some point, sometimes entertaining, but sometimes just like, oh my God, why are they doing that? <laughs> yeah. Um, they had a lot of women that would just have what they called bra and panties matches where they would, the point of the match was to strip your opponent down to her underwear. Hmm. Um, that was a big part of the Attitude Era. That's when the characters were coming in that were pushing the envelope of like, there was the porn star character named Val Venus, spelled V-E-N-I-S. Oh. And his gimmick was he's a former porn star who became a wrestler. Hmm. And he would, you know, his finishing move was called the money shot. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. There was the Godfather who was a pimp who would come down with women that were supposedly his hoes. Right. Um, yeah. There was a character who had sex with an old woman and she gave birth to a hand. These were all things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned these that were all things time. that were happening on <laughs> raw, but for some reason, like it was just the fans, the fans at that time, it was that 18 to 25 male demographic. And it was, the fans were loving it. Right. You look back on it. Like I look back on it and go, man, I, I watched this a lot and I was like this is awful yeah when you go back and look at it do you think it's term in terms of numbers and stuff though did it bring in any new fans I don't because I, it sounds to me like it, it it it's more catering to the people who had grown up with it and it was just sort of an extension of that where it's like uh, you know our fans from the last 10 or 20 years are now in their 20s and so we're just gonna I think I think they were catering to that that group that was being most rabid. Right. And that was the group because at the time television ratings were important. You know, so I think those were the people that were watching TV and that's who they wanted to grab. Yeah. And they were trying to compete with this other company who was beating them. So like they had to they were like what can we do to win? And I think that yeah, they were trying to cater to their crowd that was watching TV, but I think they were also re- trying to reach out and grab that younger gra- group that may have left. Right. Cuz I know a lot of people that watch wrestling as kids and then stopped watching, but then came back to, mm. to wrestling when the attitude era was going on. Sure. It, now it was this edgy, you know, well, dangerous it's like, show. They're like, they're like, uh, you know, WWF is playboy. WCW is penthouse, you know, penthouse. Now WCW is showing Bush. And so playboy <laughs> has to respond and they're like, all yeah. right, I guess we're going to show Bush too. Yeah. Um, and it's in, and, and, you know, and, but you look at that as like a classic, uh, I guess, um, subscriber mm-hmm. to whatever the form is, and you kind of go like, "Oh, they're showing Bush now." <laughs> <laughs> Something yeah. uh, WCW never went that far. They never went as far as WWF did. They, they, they but it sounds like WWF did it in response. To, they did. You know they, what I mean? They they started pushing the envelope. I mean it in. Ter- I don't mean showing Bush in terms of oh, like yeah, yeah. the Literal. extremity of it, but yeah. but literally just saying, "I see what you're doing, and we're gonna do it." The same, but a little different. So yeah. then everybody kind of goes, "Oh, what's this?" And then the response has to be, "Oh, I guess we, I guess we have to do the same." Yeah, I think, and more going the other way. I think the analogy would work if it was uh, WCW was showing a whisper of nipple and an occasional nipple, okay. and WWF was like, "Oh, we can show nipple." Oh, we're also going to show Bush. Full Bush. Yeah, they're going to go full Bush. Okay, and they did, and and they did it for a few years. It was probably like three or four years, three years probably where they were doing it. Right. Um. And then it just it it ended up tapering off because WCW went out of business. They ended up having different management, different leadership. They lost they lost the ratings war. They went out of business, mm-hmm. and just when they went out of business, WWF bought them. They bought the company. Oh, okay. So they incorporated a bunch of the wrestlers. So at that point, they were the only game in town, and 
it felt like at that they were they also matured as well too. They, they we can't keep doing the same stuff we're doing. Mm-hmm. So that's when they ushered in some new some new uh, characters and some new styles. But they were they were pushing the envelope at times, probably ninety percent of the time, just for the sake of doing it, right? To see what they could get away with on TV. And because they were making a lot of money for the USA Network, they were letting it happen. They were like, "Hey, we're getting money. Let's, yeah. let's keep pushing it." Yeah. And sponsors weren't necessarily quitting. You know, they were staying with the show. Sure. Or sponsors were jumping on. They're like, "Hey, you're popular with this group. Let's, we're going to work with you." Excuse me. So, at what point does um, I mean, is that does does the folding of WCW sort of end the Attitude Era, or is that it, sort of kind of yeah, yeah. The, that happened in two thousand one. Uh, or late early 2002 at that point WWF still they still did some attitude era esque stuff but it wasn't it wasn't as effective because there wasn't they didn't have an opponent they didn't have a foil they didn't have anyone to work off of and honestly it just it the I think people lost a taste for it mm-hmm. like they, they went so far you you eventually have to go back you can't keep if they kept going farther it would have it would have ruined them yeah they would have. I mean, they would have eventually. Had, I mean, where do you go from there? You you, yeah. you literally have to like murder somebody mm-hmm. at a certain point. Yeah, and they tried. They you know, tried. They did try to murder somebody. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> years later, they had Vince McMahon die die in a car explosion. Mm-hmm. That, that was well after the Attitude Era. But then a real live wrestler died uh, in real life. Right. Uh, that was the Chris Benoit weekend. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like they did that. Then Chris Benoit's weekend happened, where his where the murders and all the horrible stuff. So then Vince McMahon was like, uh, I died on TV, but um, yeah, we're, we're not going to honor that. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So yeah, in a way, WCW folding was kind of the end of the attitude era. Mm-hmm. And there were great things in it too. Like there was some of the wrestling was fantastic. Um, it was great because as a fan, every character had a storyline. Like nowadays there's lots of characters that just don't have anything to do on TV. Cause they're not part of the main story. Oh, but the, everybody had something going on. Um, there was, you know, there's the DX group that I mentioned earlier. When they were in the height of the Monday Night War, they were in neighboring towns of WCW one night, mm-hmm. and they were in a pitch meeting about what to do. They're like, oh, they're they're just like a town over. It's like, well, what if we invaded their show? I was like, what do you mean? It's like, I don't know. What if we let's send DX over? And Triple H goes, we could get a tank. He's like, we can get <laughs> we we can get an urban assault vehicle. We'll put on army helmets and we'll drive over there. Oh my gosh! So they did. They rented a tank, not like a full tank, but like a. Thing. It might have been a tank. I got to think back. But they were all dressed in army gear, and they just took the camera, and they just drove across with a bullhorn and a tank to the arena where WCW was working. And they were like, "Hey, WCW, come on outside. We're here!" And like they aired that on their show. Wow. And it was so cool. Yeah. It, it was. It was. It was breaking the rules in a very cool way. Right. Um, that was one of the good things that they did. Um, that's what it sounds like, the Attitude Era. I mean, you know, just based on what you've said, it kind of sounds like that's what it comes down to. It sounds like it was very anti, anti-authority anti mm-hmm. and just like breaking breaking the rules and sort of creating new ones. Exactly. And you look at all the wrestlers at the time that were there and how they matured into... And I think of it as growing up in a lot of ways because, you know, Triple H was a wrestler in the Attitude Era who was the leader of DX who would do the crotch chop and tell everyone to suck it. Yeah. Uh, who would point at, point at women in the audience and be like, flash me. And they would. Right. And to see him now being like, yeah, I was stupid back then. I did stupid things, but now I'm running the company. I'm, I'm, a, I'm spearheading development and I'm trying to, you know, he's, he's a, a big proponent along with his wife, Stephanie McMahon, Vince's daughter mm-hmm. of trying to get the women out of being divas and, and, you know, 
objects and being like, no, they're athletes as well. Let's sure. get them in the ring. And now the women wrestling nowadays is amazing. That's I mean, it was right. amazing back then too, but like the, there were amazing women wrestlers, but WWF right. wasn't focusing on that. Right. They weren't acknowledging that it was amazing. No, and now there's, you know, women are headlining shows and their their matches are better than most of the men's shows because they're, they're just as good. Yeah. If they're better, you know. Um, you know, there's a character like Mick Foley, for example. He was the daredevil back then. Now, but you learn all these things about him that he's a Disney fanatic and he mm-hmm. loves Disney World and theme parks. And that as he got older, he realized, oh, I can't do this anymore. So I'm going to change my character and become more of an elder statesman and help younger guys. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a character in there was a tag team called the Acolytes who were followers of The Undertaker at one point. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a guy named Bradshaw, who was a big Texan who would kill you. But then he became a his character morphed into a financial wizard oh and like he started wearing a suit and had a short haircut and was like neat became the champion you know <laughs> like it, it's interesting to see how they've all grown up i mean right and I, I the rock of course is the rock yeah and stone stone cold and the rock were kind of the centerpieces of it in a lot of ways because the rock would push the envelope but it was that again it was that edgy coolness that to it right stone cold did the same thing and then the two of them as foils for each other just made for such exciting TV to watch what they would do together. Right. Uh, Big Show, you mentioned earlier, he came in. He was one of the first ones to come over from WCW to come to WWF. Oh, okay. He was the giant in WCW. They His contract expired. He talked to Vince. He got hired, and he premiered. And he would not have had the career he had if he didn't come over mm-hmm. to WWF. He's still working for WWF all these years later. Oh, really? Yeah, he still he still wrestles. Was that something that that would frequently occur um, near the end? Would uh, I get this is a two part question? Mm-hmm. Um, what was there as much of a to do if a WCW wrestler would go to WWF as there was in those early days of of yeah um, of the Monday night shows of Nitro mm-hmm. where a WWF player or player the player yeah wwf guy would come over to wcw was it like a would they play that up to be oh, like yeah. we um, got we got one back or yeah um and and they did it in certain ways like um trying to think who who were some of the other guys that swapped wcw had a lot of the old wwf guys they had hulk hogan they had the million dollar man they had mr perfect they had rowdy roddy piper um the macho man they had tons of the old wwf guys yeah um so WWF wasn't really seeking their old guys to come back. Not yet, anyway. Sure. So Big Show was probably the first one. Oh, no, X-Pac was the first one from WCW. Um, X-Pac was formerly in WWF in the early 90s as a character called the 123 Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he was called that because he looked like he was five years old. Um, <laughs> but he picked up a win and in a match that he wasn't supposed to win. Like He was supposed to be an enhancement talent or a jobber, as they called him. Or at least that's what he was build as mm-hmm. um, do you know what that means no uh, an enhancement talent is a wrestler who is brought in to make a superstar look good okay um, like the whole point of them is like hey you're gonna come in you're gonna be beaten up in this match and pinned so that you know that guy looks like a monster sure it's like okay great but he ended up beating razor ramon in a match and he got the nickname the one two three kid and they made him a character and he went over to wcw and was a character called six he was called six because it's one plus two plus three ah, yeah got it Yep. So he was called Six, and he worked over there, um, and then he came back to WWF and became X Pac. He gave a promo when he came back because he joined um, DX with Triple H. Mm-hmm. He gave a promo where he called out Eric Bischoff in his promo, like and it was like the night after WrestleMania, um, so it was a big deal. And he was like, "Hey Bischoff, you know, screw you. We're, I'm coming over here where where you know the good stuff is happening. You know, 
whatever it was, whatever yeah. his promo was. Um, Big Show was next uh, year, like probably a year later. He came and started a program with Stone Cold and was like Vince McMahon's puppet for a while. Mm-hmm. But he came in at a high level, and that was the thing. If you brought a guy in, it depends how you bring him in, especially a WCW guy because it's a different style of wrestling. Right. Um, nowadays, there's a guy named Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. If you've heard of Jericho. I have heard of Jericho. He was a WCW guy for a long time. He never really got a lot of... He, he got traction because he's very good at what he does. They brought him off over to WWF and premiered him in a program with The Rock like right away, which is coming in at the highest level. Sure. And fans knew who he was. They gave him a big to-do. Um, but he spent like a year trying to figure out how to work with WWF because uh, one of the things he said about it in his books, he's like, in WCW, it was the inmates running the asylum. When you come over here, it's a very well-oiled machine mm-hmm. he's like wwf like i show up i know exactly where i'm supposed to be i know what i need to do people are like oh you have to talk to this person to talk about the match you're going to talk to this person we're going to do a rehearsal with this he's like it was very very organized we're in wcw he'd show up and they'd be like what am i doing tonight ah, we'll figure it out <laughs> right so so he was another one that came over um later on there was a group called the radicals is what they ended up being called in wwf mm-hmm. uh it was chris benoit eddie guerrero dean malenko and uh Perry Saturn were the were four guys who were stalwarts in WCW, um, but they just were sick of it. They were sick of not getting opportunity and kind of being passed over. And the, Chris Benoit won the WCW title, and a week later was in WWF. Wow! Because he was like, I don't want this. I don't want to be here. Really? Like that's they put him on. They put the title on him to try to be like, you should stay. And he was just like, No, you guys are. You don't. You don't want me here. Right. You're. You're. You want. You want to keep me. But you don't want to use me. You don't want me. Yeah, you don't want me. Yeah. It kind of sounds like um, that was that 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 was one of the things that sort of defined outside of the obvious like surface level like rule breaking anti hero outlaw kind of persona. But it sounds like what started really changing in the Attitude Era was that it became more humanized and more about the individual playing the role. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm, you know, and again, you can correct me on any of this, but it just sounds like when the idea was this is all straightforward, this is real, this is happening, it was a little easier to sort of have these bigger than life characters that you had to maintain throughout your your daily life. But once that sort of secret was released, and yeah. then it was just like, oh no, this is just scripted theater essentially. Mm-hmm. It allowed it allowed these athletes to also act as actors. Where it's like you and I can go and do a show and then walk out afterwards and be like, yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. As opposed to being like, no, I'm still Hamlet, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, but but it but it humanized them in a way that actually, I think, endeared the audience to them even deeper. It did, and that's and that's what happened with me too. Especially when I learned it was scripted, I was so much more interested in it and yeah. more interested in the performers. Vince McMahon gave a speech at one point. I want to say it was before. I don't remember exactly when he did it, but the speech was about to the fans, and it was like it was a pre-recorded thing that aired on Raw, and he was saying, you know, we here think that you're tired of having your intelligence insulted. You know, there's no such thing as good guy versus bad guy, so we're gonna be more entertaining. And literally, he just said, "This is a show. Yeah, we're gonna have fun." Right. And the and and it set the tone. Like I think that, that happened early on in the Attitude Era, so that kind of let people know what was gonna happen. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't like, "Welcome to the Attitude Era. This is what we're gonna do." That was a name that was thrown on it after. Sure. But it was it was a moment where you know he he had the sense, or at least the sense, to listen to those around him to to say, "Yeah, we gotta change the we gotta change the way we do things." Right. Because fans do know that this isn't real anymore. Right. And these are people. So it it 
it gave them an opportunity to have characters like Stone Cold, like The Rock, like Triple H, like Mankind, Mick Foley, uh, The Undertaker, as he became over time, um, to be themselves, but with the volume turned up. Yeah. As opposed to the fake, over-the-top characters that don't exist that we're trying to maintain. Right. We'll put it in and put it in within the context of that, that sort of theatricality, I think, allows you to go even further because, you know, uh, as a, I mean, you can go back to the Greeks and say like, yeah, we, we are able to, as people separate ourselves in terms of, you know, we know this isn't real what's happening in front of us, but we can engage in it. You know, you see it with theater, you see it with movies, you see it with TV where it's like, you can engage with it and you can find something in it, even though that there's a voice in the back of your head that's constantly reminding you like, this isn't real. Mm -hmm. And so, once you recognize to your fans, hey, this isn't real, we're just, you know, let's have fun with it. It's like you almost give yourself, the audience is giving you permission to go like, yeah, go crazy. Oh, yeah. Because if you saw some of the same stuff that was happening during that era and you still thought that this was 100% legit, you would think that some of those people were insane. Oh, my God. It'd be crazy. Insane. And I don't think you would give them the same permissions no. to be like, nobody should act like this. He needs to be locked up. Yeah, This absolutely. is a crazy person who is going to be walking the streets after this match and killing people. <laughs> but instead you go, oh, that's a character. Yeah. Go on and do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see how it's grown. Like that, that changed the way wrestling is now. Yeah. You know, I'm still a fan. I still watch it. Um, it's, it's, I think I said this last time too, when, 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 when I'm talking about wrestling and people say, you know, it's fake, right? It's like, what, why would you say that? Of course, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> right. I, I, I'm, and it, it's, it's a known television show. It's, yeah. it's a television show. That's when you, when, you know, if they're wearing an Avenger shirt, like, oh, you think the Avengers, you know, those are actors, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's no real such thing as superheroes. It's like, yeah, I get it. Like, nowadays, it's very different. It's such a weird, that's, that response to me seems like a weird holdover from, it is, whenever that revelation was first made. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's, it's meant for the people from the 70s or 80s or whatever that, that still held on to it, you know, and, those who thought they were, you know, smarter than would be yeah. like, you idiot, it's fake, you know? And But now it's just like, yeah, everybody knows yeah, that. Like, yeah. what year are you living yeah, it's in? Just, it's just, now is it a TV show do you like or don't like? And that's fine. Right. And it's a TV show I still watch. Yeah. So would you say that um, what what of that Attitude Era has sort of like continued on into this new era of wrestling, you know, or lessons learned or things that they just kind of, got rid of completely i'm sure um, i think the attitude era gave them uh, a better way of creating characters going forward because now uh the characters that are on tv are more real to themselves mm -hmm. and i think they weren't before the attitude era the attitude era allowed a lot of guys to show their personality and girls to show their personality um it allowed them to they came up with things for themselves and and they came up with their own ideas it's much more scripted now uh the, there's it's funny how much uh control uh, the company maintains over the product. It's now very scripted. Sure. I mean, it's always been scripted, but now, like back in the Attitude Era, for example, they would say to The Rock, you know, hey, you're going to go out and do a promo. You're going to, you need to say, you need to get this, this, and this out in your promo. And he would go, okay. And he would write his own promo. Now they're like, all right, here's your promo. This is what you need to say. Right. So now they're doing very scripted work, but the characters are much more real than they used to be. Because mm -hmm. the writers are now working with the guys to be like, 
hey, this is who you are as a person. I want to make sure I work this into the into the into the script. And yeah. the guys are able to if they're bold enough, they'll make changes to it. If they're at a certain level, they'll make changes to it. But um, it it gave them, I think, it gave them permission to the permission to be real. Uh, and, and where wrestling hadn't been, it had been the world of superheroes and giants. And now it's a lot of the wrestlers now you look at them you're like they look like regular guys they look like regular people right i could go up and talk to this person in fact i talked to a wrestler uh on thursday night at oh. your show um right after there's a wrestler named mojo raleigh who who was at sack oh really yeah he didn't come to your show oh he hates long form no <laughs> no um he hates you and adam i don't yeah, know why i don't know why uh no he um we he's come to sack several times yeah and we'll see him all the time because he used to be an nxt wrestler now he's on monday night raw and I've met him a few times and we're walking down and I saw him and I said, Oh, Hey Mojo. And he, we talked for a couple minutes and I just said, Hey, thank you so much for coming to see shows. And he's like, Oh, I love it. It's great. It's so much fun. And you know, in the past you wouldn't go up to a wrestler and talk to them like that. I right. Mean, because you would think, Oh God, I can't talk to that person there. That's the killer Samoan who's going to bite my face off. <laughs> yeah. But now it's like, Oh, they're, they're performers. They're actors. They're, they're real people. Let's pr- let's approach them. Let's talk to them and say hello. Yeah, you know, and treat them like real people. Sure, and I'm sure they appreciate that too. Yeah, yeah, and he loves Sack. He's come to it several times. That's cool. Yeah, he needs to take classes. All wrestlers should take improv classes. I agree. If you're out there, um, whether it's in Orlando or I don't know Boston, I, both are good. Both are good markets. <laughs> both are great <laughs> markets for improv, um, and 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 I recommend them both highly. Um, so as far as as we're winding down, as far as like this modern era, is there a is there what what sort of defines the modern era of wrestling as Ooh. it stands? I think modern the modern era is defined... This is a tough question. That's what I hit you with. I know, I like it. I would say the modern era right now is defined by the wrestlers who are making their own way. Um, and up till, the, up till recently, the WWF was the big game. And it still is. Mm-hmm. But now, a lot of the wrestlers in the WWF, like WWE, who are big names, like... Uh, guy named Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other names that, uh, Samoa Joe was in TNA for a while. Uh, they're all guys that have worked on the indie circuit and built a name amongst the indie world of wrestling and have made their way to the big dance. So I would say it's defined by guys writing their own, making their own path mm. is a big definition out there now. That's um, cool. It's not, you know, cause in the past it was, you have to work for WWF and you have to get there this way. You have to go to a wrestling school, learn at a wrestling school and then go here. Um, now a lot of the a lot of those su- a lot of the performers have found their own way and they've they've proven that they're good enough and they've made it to the the show so to speak. Wow. So yeah, I think it's kind of defined by that. It's funny how and again, all of this is just based on everything you've told me, but but it does seem that through the years, through the eras, um, wrestling does sort of reflect the society that's that's watching it. You know, oh yeah. Um in in very vague general terms, but it's almost like, you know, when you think of the stereotypical 80s, it's it's big, it's loud, it's, you know, it's a lot of cocaine. It's just <laughs> it's characters though. You know, it's it's Wall Street, it's yeah. it's suits, it's everything. It's just, you know, um it's bright, it's colorful, it's Miami Vice, and I think like wrestling reflects that. And then you get into the 90s and it's very much it's darker um you know, even if economically we're doing better, it's very much the, the you know, it's extreme, you know, it's the <laughs> anti-hero, it's the rise of that whole thing. And it becomes, it becomes a bit more, I don't want to say cynical, but it does become a bit more 
anti-authoritarian, you know? And, like, now what you're describing is very much, like, the story of anybody who engages in, like, a social media, like, social media. Oh, it's and, huge. You know, with music or comedy or acting or anything else where it's just, like, you don't need the big, you know, the big money at the top telling you what you are and are not allowed to do because the opportunity is there for anybody to to start something, to get your name out there, and to start creating a fan base for yourself. Yeah, and social media has changed a lot of wrestling world. Yeah. Like the the there are guys on Twitter or, you know, they they have YouTube shows and they're all wrestlers who are just making a name for themselves, doing independent doing independent circuits, like I said indies. Right. Um doing the indie shows, but then they're on Twitter and, you know, they're they're getting shared by guys who are in the WWF because they're friends. Right. And they're like that helps reveal their their work to other people. So yeah, yeah it is. It's a make your own do, DIY in a lot of ways. Do it yourself. It's cool. Yeah. And then it's cool to watch those same people sort of like get noticed and picked up by yeah. by the WWE and they go, yeah, come on, come yeah, on and, onto the big stage. Yeah. And you see what they do. And like some of them, some of them just really take over. Like uh, AJ Styles is a guy who is the current uh, WWE champion. He's 40 years old. He looks like he's 25. Well, wow. he's an incredible shape, incredible wrestler. Um, but he's a guy who had worked in the indies for years and worked at TNA for years mm-hmm. and everyone was like why aren't you there and he's like because i'm here you know i'm here i'm where <laughs> i need to be and he's like yeah i'd love to go there but i'm i'm fine right it wasn't it's not about making making the big name it's about doing the work and a lot of the wrestlers that are popular now were fans 15 20 years ago right uh 25 years ago and they're like i loved watching it i love doing it so if i'm doing it for wwe great but if i'm also doing it for you know in a bingo hall for 50 people Great too. I'm happy to do it there because yeah. my match will get seen. If it's a great match, someone's going to film it, put it online, exactly and someone's right. going to see it. Exactly right. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great time to be a wrestling fan too. I mean, there's so much more going on. I mean, I don't get out to see as much indie shows as I could, but when I do, I'm like, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Who's your favorite um, wrestler right now? AJ Styles. AJ Styles. Yeah, I think he's he he is a throwback to the old days in some ways in the way that he sells uh, selling to selling means you know if he gets hit he's hurt and he's showing it sure like a lot of a lot of wrestling like there's a lot of high flying wrestling or very fast paced wrestling where a guy'll take a huge move but then he's up doing his next move and it becomes more about sequences and and choreography as a as opposed to telling a story yeah um, aj styles is a storyteller in the ring you know he had a match a few weeks ago on on smackdown with a a, a guy named um, Andre Cien Almas, who is a, an upcoming wrestler, and AJ won the match. But at the end of the match, he was on the ground, holding his side, breathing heavy, mm-hmm. looking like he just went to war. And <laughs> a lot of guys don't do that, at least not to that level. And you watch him, you go, "Man, he just he won the match, but he made his opponent look great. Right? He made his opponent look like he put him through hell. Sure. And that's that's a skill that isn't." as prevalent in wrestling anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it was very prevalent in the old days, guys like Jake Roberts and, uh, and Macho Man and Ricky Steamboat. Like they could sell, you know, to DiBiase. Like they were, they would, they would tell a story like uh, Bret Hart's another one, Shawn Michaels. Like they just, they'll make you believe what's, they'll make you believe that there's drama, you know, right. to what's going on. And AJ Styles can do that. So right. that's why he's, that's why I like him the most. Him and Daniel Bryan. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, as uh, as as always, I'll ask the the same question that I they do of um, nearly every guest. I forget sometimes, but uh, um, you know, is there is there anything else 
that you want to talk about that we didn't get to? That there was something that I, that occurred to me. Yeah. Um. So I mentioned that there was a guy who had sex with an old woman and she gave birth to a hand. Yes. That happened on TV. Um, <laughs> all of it. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Didn't see all the graphic parts, but you did see the old woman who was May Young, who was a wrestler from the 30s and 40s. Um. And every story tells that she was just tough as nails, willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, she went. She took a power bomb through a table at age eighty-two. Oh, geez. Yeah, and and she was the one. Uh, it was a guy named Bubba Ray Dudley. The Dudley Boys were a tag team, and and they were like, "We want to put her through a table." And they were like, uh, "I don't know if we should do that." And she, I guess, like slapped her. Like, "Come on, son, you can do it. Come on!" <laughs> like she, she's like, she was a tough, she was a tough bird. Yeah. Um. So she gave birth to a hand. Um. Years later, mm-hmm. they did a, a like a, I want to say maybe 25th anniversary or 30th anniversary of Raw because Raw's been on. It's one of the longest running television shows of all time. Mm-hmm. They did a they did a an episode of it, and the guy she slept with was named Mark Henry. Was the character was the wrestler? That's he's a former uh, Olympian. He was a world's strongest man, held that title. Mm-hmm. So he was in WWF, and he's still he still worked for the company. This was now 25 years after the event or something. So if that happened, well, not 25 years after the event, that happened in like 99, maybe 2000. Mm-hmm. So it was probably 2015. So maybe 15 years later. Um, he's in a segment backstage and there's a knock on a door and he opens it <laughs> and there's a guy in a hand costume who goes, hey, you're my dad. <laughs> God. <laughs> and it was... <laughs> Anyone who knew the segment, <laughs> it was like, wow, they paid that off. They yeah. waited 15 years to do this. <laughs> it's They were able to... I, I like that because they looked back at that moment, and they're laughing at themselves. Sure. They're making a joke about it. Sure. Because it was like, that was pretty stupid. Right. But what can we do about it? Let's have a giant man in a hand suit. Right. Come introduce himself. Yeah. But they did it in a way that take, takes ownership of the silliness. Yes. It as was, opposed to... What we talked about before, where they were just making fun of themselves, and it was kind yeah. of like, oh, boy. Yeah, now they, it was pretty great. That's hilarious. Yeah. Is there a significant, I can't remember if you said this in the last episode, is there a significance that it was a hand? Like, why? The guy who wrote it uh, was named Vince Russo. Uh-huh. He was a writer for WWF, and he went on to work for WCW, and then WCW collapsed. Um, he thought it would be funny, I guess, and was like, it'll be a hand, bro. You know, like, yes, that's what he wanted. That's how he talked. But like, yeah, it was just they. It was like it's going to be a weird miscarriage. She can't have a baby because they, they started the story and they didn't know how to end it. Right. You know. So like, they were like, well, we'll have her give birth to a hand, and it, the, even and anyone involved in it now goes, yeah, we don't know what the hell we were thinking. So nobody, nobody has any answer to it no. as far as like, oh, it was, it was a hand because no, there's no deeper meaning. It just they just yeah. picked a body part. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. Well, we'll leave on that then. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Mike, for coming back. Thanks for having me back. filling us in. Um, hopefully this this keeps your friends satisfied so they're not so. coming back to you telling you you forgot this, this, and this. Oh, I forgot tons of stuff. I can already tell you I did. But. Sure. Every time I do an episode, uh, I turn off the microphone and immediately people, my guests have five other things that they wish they would have oh, gotten yeah. to. But that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. You know, continue the conversation, go on Facebook, um, message Mike directly if, if you know that, whatever. Um, but uh, but that's the point of these things. It's just to start conversation. Yeah, it's just get it rolling. Them. Get it rolling. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming out once more. Thanks for having me back. Um, good luck in all of your future endeavors. That's what they say in wrestling when people get fired. Do they really? Yes, it is. You're being fired. Oh, man. Um, I don't know, unless you want to come back for like episode 50 or something, I don't know how this is going to work out. <laughs> But, uh, you know, if there's a competing, if there's a competing podcast out there, you know, that pays a little better, pays a little better 
contracts you out, you know, less less episodes, more money. That'd I be understand. Nice. That'd be nice. But uh, you know, I'm loyal. This is, I'm going to make a verbal contract. A to verbal contract. Right okay, that's a verbal contract, baby. We're going to have Mike back at some point. But uh, but no, in all seriousness, thank you for being my first guest, and thank you for being my first return guest. Happy to do it. Um, setting the template, like I said, and uh, you know, wearing your wearing your sleeveless shirt right now, showing off those. Showing off those Macho Man guns. Yeah, that are very uh, farmer tanny at the moment. I love it. I love it. Um, if you had a wrestler, I think we talked about this before, but but if you had to give yourself a wrestler name today, what would it be? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. It's tough because uh, when I was a kid, it would have been a very character name. Right. But now I want, would want to be more real. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what I would call myself. Is there a Boston Strangler? There was a Boston Strangler who strangled a lot of women. I mean, in wrestling. Oh, no, there's not. So I guess I could be the Boston Strangler. You're the Boston Strangler. I'm going to choke you. All right. See you, Mike. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. What Am I Missing is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Brett Walden, with original music by Anthony Smith. Special thanks to Mike Carr, who hopefully will never have to park himself at Harvard Yard. If you would like to know more about me or listen to past episodes, you can find it all at facebook.com slash whatamimissingpod. If you have any questions, comments, or curses about anything you heard today, you can email me at whatamimissingpodcast at gmail.com, and please make sure to rate us on whatever app you choose to listen to podcasts on. And tell your friends about us, pretty please. And finally, I would like to once again thank all of you for listening, and wish you very happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and a solemn, respectful Ramadan. See you in 2019. Thanks for listening.